In today's extra special episode, I sit down with businessman, author, and musician Graham Earnshaw, who for a time in the 70s was the man behind the voices, behind the actors of our favorite kung fu films. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast and part one of a two-part interview with Mr. Graham Earnshaw. My very special guest tonight is Graham Earnshaw. Graham Earnshaw is a businessman with a lot of experience in the world of Chinese business. He's a published author with several books to his name. Uh, One of them, which I find fascinating, is a continuing walk across China and uh, also a published musician with several albums to your credit. Uh, Mr. Earnshaw, Graham Earnshaw, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm very excited to speak with you. Uh, Jeff, it's my great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, what led me to you was a, uh, a bit of research that I was doing for my show. Uh, it's uh, the Kung Fu Driving Podcast, which celebrates a lot of the early Kung Fu movies. And your memoir snippet talked about a time that you spent as a director or script writer for Kung Fu flick dubbing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. I was living in Hong Kong in the 70s from 1973 through to 78. And I was involved in as many things as I possibly could be at that time, and as, as, which is still true today, true today I guess. Um, and I, I bumped into a bunch of people who were doing film dubbing. At the time, Chinese kung fu movies, that is Hong Kong kung fu movies, were being projected out into the world they uh they they resonated with audiences all over the world in a way that uh no other film production center other than hollywood has ever been able to do it i think that is mm. to create movies that just resonate for everybody everywhere Absolutely. and i'm and and these movies did and so they were shown in africa and the middle east and south america and just everywhere and language was not uh, a key issue. It was mostly about the uh, the action and the the very simple, very 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 visceral stories. It was uh, about the action, and the, uh, the, the of course there was dialogue, and it was important in terms of the local languages in wherever these uh, movies were being shown that they there be a soundtrack that they could use as the basis for whatever they did. And usually in in those days, I think it was dubbing. I I don't know about now, maybe subtitles more, but dubbing then. So it'd be dubbed into Spanish or Arabic or whatever. But they did it off our English. The English versions of these uh, the, the movies, the ones that we did, have become it seems based upon your call to me, Jeff, a a sort of a cult. Um, uh, interest right. in in many parts of the world, particularly the United States and in Europe. Right, and it, it really is one of those things where the actors that did these voiceovers or these these voice doubles mm-hmm. um, were never recognized for any of their contributions. I mean, I never knew who was doing the voices for these films, but. As a fan of those films, I would recognize certain voices as I watched more and more movies, and I would ascribe certain voices to certain actors, and um, I would, you know, it, it was to the point where I would be kind of upset if the 
what I thought was the right voice didn't go with the right actor. So, <laughs> you know, I, I identified with these voices. And really, with Kung Fu movies having swept the nation for several decades uh, at that time, the the voices really did become sort of the soundtrack for that generation. You know, that we were quoting those English dubs. We we had no, no access to the original Mandarin or the original Cantonese, so there was no way that we mm-hmm. would know what what they were to begin with. But did you realize when you were doing that that you were part of something that was going to be so influential? Uh, there was no sense at the time that these movies and that the the culture and the traditions would uh, last as long as they have would live. The, at the time for for the dubbers. Uh, and for me, it was a way to uh, make a quick buck on a on a Thursday night, and and to have some fun as well. We, it, it didn't involve large amounts of money. My memory is that I, I was doing the scripts because I could speak some, uh, I could read Chinese, and uh, I did some dubbing as well. But I wasn't as good as some of the others, who we can talk about a little bit later. There was. No- sense that, that it was that they, these movies were going to become uh, as influential and last as uh, as long as they have and it's and it's 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 wonderful that uh that uh, that they have at the time we were simply doing it for the money and uh, a bit of fun on a friday night that was pretty much it now you uh in the snippet of your memoir you don't exactly paint it as a particularly glamorous gig um <laughs> you, you talk about really cold studios and really cramped spaces yes. and um oh. and it, you know honestly um when i thought about it uh i was used to seeing you know behind the scenes things of movies oh, no, no. here where voice actors go into a, a plush studio and they have you know nice pop filters yes. and big you know big studio execs kind of hanging around so it really was no. 180 <laughs> degrees from that then Oh, absolutely! There were no studio execs around. They were they were crappy little uh, <laughs> studios in the middle of Kowloon. Um, you know, the the the, the fourth floor uh, uh, you know, through through an alleyway, and uh, it was uh, sometimes there was noise, the traffic noise outside, which was which was uh, bothersome. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was all very uh, it, it, it was all very primitive, but. But it was a lot of fun too, and the the very small group of people who were involved in it, we're all we're all we were all good friends, and uh, we used to enjoy getting together on a, on a you know Wednesday Thursday night. Very often the movies were done over a two night section. Uh, it was very rare that we could do a uh, to finish a movie on one night. But and we used to uh, get uh, take uh, t- Chinese takeaways, of course, Chinese <laughs> of course. takeaways, uh, and uh, and that always caused trouble in terms. Of uh, stomach rumbling afterwards in the in the latter part of the session. Yeah, that was. A, but it was all it was all good fun. Yeah, that was a great uh, bit in your uh, in your memoir there. That um, uh, a mm. trickle of alimentary juices or uh, gastric juices down the alimentary canal would, uh, would 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 ruin an entire tape. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, the, these these recording studio is very very quiet. But we're not. It's not like um, uh, d- dubbing. I'm guessing today is done with uh, a speaker very close to the microphone. Right. So you get less extraneous noise. Yeah, at that point, we were standing. We were all standing basically in a semicircle around a, a a mic that was probably I don't know a meter a meter and a half away. Interesting. See, and and speaking of uh, the way that it's done today, I guess in in American media. Um, Voice actors for popular animations or cartoons or what have you can grow to become beloved and even revered for their work. You know, for example, mm-hmm. um, Optimus Prime of the Transformers, that's Peter Cullen. The Joker is Mark Hamill. Batman is Kevin Conroy. And everybody that is a fan of these voice actors knows who they are. And 
respects the work yeah. that they've done. And was there ever any bitterness, you know, a feeling of being uh, slighted by the actors that do the voice dubbing that they were never recognized for their work? I don't think so. I doubt it. I think every nobody had a sense of these movies and what we were doing as being uh, art, uh, of having any sense of, of you know true cultural value. It was just a bit of fun. That was all, uh, and the uh, uh, and so there was no sense of. Uh, that the, there was a, that was something that needed to be recognised. I find that to be criminal. My contribution. <laughs> I find that to be criminal. I absolutely do. And you know, these movies were were being thrown out at you know a rate of you know two a week by these studios. They were just complete. And it was it was a it was a production line process of making these kung fu movies, and they 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 were then you know sort of splattered out into the world, and each of them made a bit of money, uh, and uh, the the dubbing was just one part of the process and we were they paid us some money to bring in to, to bring us in and then and then it went off into the into the marketing distribution channels but it was never uh it was never a, a something which was a, a big deal there were there was no sense of uh you know career uh, of you know of all the glamour the hollywood <laughs> glamour and all that. you know absolutely if not even zero it was negative <laughs> oh wow it, it's it's so strange to, to think about it that way um I, I mean i understand that it was at the time it was it was part of the job and, and filling the role that was needed to get these movies out into the to, the public consciousness, I guess. But f again, for fans of the Kung Fu movies, we threw out those lines because that's what our Kung Fu heroes fantastic. said, you know, they, um, yeah. and, and some of these lines are famous even today in, in five deadly venoms. One of the lines that, uh, one of the characters says is poison plan rocks the world. And I have no idea if that was right. If that was the right, uh, translation for whatever the original Mandarin was, but that kind of stuff has, has stuck. And, it's um, it's part of that consciousness for those of us who are fans of the movies. Right. In, in very often, the English uh, just completely uh, diverged from the, the original Chinese meaning. All, all that was required, that whatever was said didn't contradict what was actually visible on the screen. <laughs> it was totally possible to make up an entirely new story. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yes, yeah, I was going to ask that. I was going to say that you... Mentioned in your in your memoirs that you tried to maintain the meaning of the phrases when you had them and you translated them, but how close was the final product to the original Mandarin or Cantonese, or or was a lot of that lost in translation? Well, I think mine were uh, pretty close because I was actually paying attention to the Chinese, but the uh, the other and uh, the, the main scriptwriter was a guy named. Oliphant, and I can't remember if I put his full name in uh, in the memoir that you read that I wrote all those years ago. Um, but let's say Bill Oliphant. I can't I can't remember if it was right. Bill, but he he didn't speak Chinese. He couldn't read the Chinese characters. We were given a script. We were given the Chinese script when we did it, and it was from that uh, and and a recording, huge reel to reel tape recorder. And then it was my job to and and uh, Mr. Oliphant's job to create an English script where basically the number of syllables in the Chinese were matched by the number of syllables in the English. And it, it really, as I say, it did, you know, the, the story itself and, the, and the, the precise meaning of the phrases, it didn't really, it mattered less to, to, uh, uh, to Mr. Oliphant than it did to, to me. Ron, and I was, I I was Ron, yeah. Ron, Ron, very good. Right, Ron Oliphant. And, and I, um, 
you know, I, I was uh, earnestly, I was in the process of learning Chinese. I'm still learning Chinese. And I, I wanted to try to make it uh, better. But but for him, it didn't matter. And to the audiences, it did. To the to the dubbers, it didn't matter. Nor to the, uh, the people who were watching it. What they wanted was something that allowed them to to get into the story and the action and, you know, and li live that drama. It's interesting because what we were essentially watching is what you wrote for us. Yeah, at, that's right. You know, the, a, a lot of Chinese culture stuff, uh, particularly in sort of drama, uh, you know, period drama, Kung Fu, uh, some of the phrases, uh, a lot of the references and allusions are going to be completely meaningless. You know, there, there are, there's sorts of equivalents in English where, where there's a phrase, you know, somebody talks about slings and arrows or something, and everyone knows, ah, oh, that's a Shakespearean right, phrase. Right. But, uh, the, you know, and there, are, there is, you know, an entire body of Chinese equivalents which would have been used, were used by uh, the scriptwriters of these uh, Kung Fu movies. But none of those references mean anything <laughs> to somebody unless you know Chinese. Right, right. And so it made perfect sense. I tend to leave uh, as much in as I could because it gives a, a flavor right of 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 this inscrutable mysterious world of china dragons and you know all, all that sort of stuff um but it wasn't necessary in terms of uh, uh, the the viewers understanding what the hell was going right. on and and therefore and therefore could be changed <laughs> that's that, that's absolutely crazy to me that that the, the the script that you got in the original mandarin or the original cantonese or whatever it was could well be a completely different movie than the final product uh, the story could, uh, uh, yes, and in certain scenes, for sure, the uh, the the, uh, the actual uh, story as delivered to uh, the viewers was different from uh, from from that which was absorbed in Chinese. When these movies, uh, now that these movies are on DVD and they're accessible, you know, online and things like that, they often come with the original uh, subtitles. I guess the original Mandarin or Cantonese subtitles now. Um, mm -hmm. But when I compare i guess the original subtitling to the the dubs that i can recall from memory yeah they really aren't yeah. all that different at least at least not that i can point to and say well this movie on the the dub side is completely different than the subtitled movie well that's and that's right and so the script we got um it had china had the chinese uh, which was absolutely verbatim what was said on the screen and then a very very rough and usually absolutely appalling chinglishy translation and it was from that that we that we worked but i was i was where, where ron wasn't i was constantly referring back to the chinese to check what the meaning was and so in some cases the uh, uh the english uh the, the crappy english that they gave us was good enough to use but it but it but it but the precondition was the number of lip flaps was the same was 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 correct because if it wasn't then you had to change it right now you worked on it says about a dozen films or so um and mm -hmm. yeah there were a bunch of studios putting these things out shaw brothers was one of the big ones now when when of you course. got these scripts were you were you able to tell right away if you were working on something that was of quality or if it was a total dog you could tell uh, to some extent, I mean, uh, Bruce Lee's fingers, I think, was one of them, and and that, I mean, that was just absolute garbage <laughs> for sure. You know, from <laughs> or it was a piece of genius, brilliant theatre. I mean, it it really, it's 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 you know, it's totally subjective, isn't it? Um, uh, but the, there were there were some, particularly the, uh, the 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 classic period dramas. 
And I'm thinking of things like uh, uh, shooting stars. What's that one called? Killer, Killer Clans, yes. um, which uh, is a fantastic novel. Um, and the uh, the movie was made by Shaw Brothers, and they put a lot of uh, for, you know for that era and for that uh, market. They put uh, uh, it was a, a high budget movie, and <clears throat> which meant it probably cost about uh, thirty five dollars. <laughs> um, but it but it was uh, something clearly which was, and I I'd, I'd seen it actually. I'd seen it in the cinema, and so that was why I was particularly excited to be working on that movie because I'd oh, seen it, uh, and uh, and. The, was clearly in a different uh, area for, than uh, than I don't know some of the, particularly the, the the movies the kung fu movies that were set in modern day Hong right. Kong uh, or, or you know or San Francisco Chinatown where everything was uh, uh, you know modern modern dress etc. Those tended to be uh, clearly uh, just 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 uh, just crappy things that it, it, t- it had taken the scriptwriter half an hour to do and another fifteen minutes to actually shoot it. <laughs> I, I did watch a little bit of Bruce's Deadly Fingers. I hadn't watched that before, and I it it wasn't particularly enthralling. So <laughs> I can. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, it, it's forty years more than forty years since I made it, and I have absolutely no interest in watching it again. <laughs> now, it was now you wrote that you finished dubbing that movie in like a record two hours and thirty five minutes. That's right. Now, it w- it's not in. It's not in the Guinness Book of Records, and I think that's just appalling. <laughs> it, it should be because I think uh, you compared it to your. Absolutely um, should you be. compared it to the the all night marathon session that you required to dub Killer Clans, and apparently that took right all night and well into the next morning. Yes. Now. Absolutely. The, the actors that you worked with, was there a set stable of voice actors that you that you tended to go to all the time or was it was it a growing industry because of the, the popularity of the films at the time? It was not growing. There was a steady supply. Uh, we were, I believe, the only uh, dubbing group in Hong Kong. And so all of the movies came through us. We were a, a very stable group of people. There were people, you know, who came and, and, and left. You know, Hong Kong then and, and uh, even now is is a pretty transient sort of place for for the foreigners. But the the people whose names uh, stick in my mind are Chris Hilton. We've set up the electrodes about a thousand yards apart. They're forty yards in height and sixty yards wide. And a guy named Warren Rook. I can't do it. Not even for you. A prominent scientist predicts an earthquake. So then, I must report it. And both of them were working for Radio Hong Kong, radio station, and were announcers. They were they were on-air announcers. They had dulcet, the dulcet tones of, of, of radio announcers. <laughs> this is the BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they could do, they, they, they had... A, a, a wide range of different voices and having done a lot of dubbing over the, the, uh, the I don't know, several years before uh, I appeared, they had an enormous amount of, uh, they an enormous skill and creativity in terms of uh, changing their voices and, uh, and, and talking for quite extended periods with, uh, uh, with, 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 with a range of, you know, like, like Peter Sellers of being able to, Put yourself into another another voice feel. Yeah, 
It's a it's a real it's a yeah. real talent, and uh, and they they both of them could do it, and so they referred to, n- not entirely humorously, to um, this this next one is uh, my forty two B voice, and they they definitely had a range of voices and and feels which they would use for different characters, and there were there were times um, I, I, at the time the recording. Uh, facilities were were primitive, and so there were times when it, it, there, there was no choice but for an actor to talk to themselves within the same take. And they, you know, we, we did retakes, but they, they could do it. And it's uh, it, it, it. There were times when we we were applauding at the end of one of these performances. <laughs> That's great. I know you do mention in your memoir, um, and it's I assume it's Warren Rook that you're talking about because you do say Warren in here, but you you mention him. Mm-hmm talking to himself for nearly a minute switching voices back and forth that's right? it and that's it it was yeah. warren you're right that's and, it yeah. yeah i mean you even say it chris could do okay. it too you you even say here that, that there's a there's, it's a pity that there's no oscar award for dubbing because obviously there really should have mm-hmm. been <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and probably there is now but uh and these movies wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have qualified but anyway you know the, the the excellence this is an example of how excellence and uh striving to be you know to for for, for, for something that is better than, than than mediocre doesn't have to be something that's that's incredibly visible like a movie being made for hollywood with a possibility of the oscars you know it's something that that you know in ev- every part of your life uh, every day, every minute, you can, you can either do something in a in a in a so so mediocre way, or you can try to do it well. You know, and and obviously, it makes more sense to try to do it well. That's great. Now, you didn't actually do any dubbing yourself. You you did a little bit. Yeah, oh, I did. did. I did. Yeah, not. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We 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 were all thrown into it because in some of the movies, particularly the the, the big script ones, there were uh, a, a lot of, of different parts, and um, and uh, and there were there would be some small walk-on parts where a different voice was required, a servant or something or a, or whatever. And then and then there, of course, there were the big uh, battle scenes, <laughs> the big fight scenes with hundreds of people, and uh, uh, you know you had to give a, a sense of a of a crowd scene, and so everybody was was into shouting and screaming or now, I, I will say that um, again because I do watch a lot of these films when those crowd seeds happen I do try to pay attention to the stuff that goes on uh, and and the stuff that people are saying because I, I again that whole thing is kind of interesting to me that that there's the, 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 you know that there's a, a group of guys sitting right. just kind of shouting things out to to make all this crowd noise uh, if you could would you the big yes. problem Jeff let, let, let me just let me just uh, uh, come in here the people who were doing it were all right. English, and they were of a generation that the Goon Show meant a lot to them. Have I you ever have heard not. of the Goon Show? Okay, well you need okay. to check into it. Wonderful stuff created in the uh, in the fifties by uh, three guys. One of them was Peter Sellers, another one was Spike oh, Milligan, and uh, the the scripts were written by by uh, by Spike Milligan. P- uh, Peter Sellers did many most of the of the of the voices, but there was one sort of joke that came out of the goon show was that when people were talking and, and shouting and murmuring to each other, uh, then they used the word rhubarb. <laughs> and so uh, in the goon show, when people were talking meaning- meaninglessly at each other, they'd say rhubarb, 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 rhubarb. And, and the, the tendency, and there was like this, uh, this absolute, it was forbidden to use the word <laughs> rhubarb in, in crowd scenes. <laughs> I, I can't honestly say that I ever heard it, but uh, I, I will be paying attention to that kind of thing now 
I'll, I'll bet you, I'll bet you'll be able to find the word rhubarb at least. Once I will look. If you I, will, I will definitely pay, uh, pay more attention. But uh, I, I was just watching one where there was a, a group of of people, and they were looking at a movie, uh, not a movie. They were looking at a wanted poster, and they were talking amongst amongst themselves and kind of just saying random things. And I would pick out a bunch of things that didn't quite make sense. And I did notice that a lot of them had very British accents. Yes. Is that was that the stable of accents? Right. Were they all from Britain? My memory is that uh, it, it was all it was all English actors, absolutely, uh, uh, and actresses. Well, uh, and, and actresses, dub, dubbers, and dub, dubatrixes. <laughs> now it's uh, interesting because when uh, I, when I play back the audio in my head, I never quite associated the the main voice actors with being English. Was mm-hmm. did you affect a softer English accent or a more Americanized accent for the dubbing? Well. There is a standard English accent. There are lots of regional English accents as well. But because Warren and Chris, who were the the main uh, male dubbers, were both radio announcers, they therefore could do what you might call the standard BBC English accent, which is sort of seen as being a sort of a neutral, I don't know, the the equivalent would be Hugh Grant or or, or whatever. That that kind of accent is, uh, is what they were doing. And that was the standard for uh for our dubbing that i you know it would have felt strange to put an american accent okay. into the okay. middle of it all it, the you know the, it would have it would have broken the the, the sense of, of continuity right, right. i think and i know i would again as a fan i would ascribe certain voices to to different actors and i kind of broke them down into a hero voice or the old master voice or right definitely oh yeah were there, were there yeah. actors that catered to those specific roles um specifically for them was it tailored for them yes warren and chris (laughs) this is this is voice 42b but it was the same it was the same person doing but the the old master voice and the hero voice uh and uh the sneaky villain and the you know etc it's the same person one of the funnier voices that kind of comes up from time to time there's always a comedic sidekick with a voice that's kind of high-pitched and kind of squeaky and yeah whenever he came on screen yeah, he knew yeah. that he was going to be the comedic element for that scene and and that voice always mm-hmm. seemed to be the same guy was that mm-hmm. yeah? probably was <laughs> and i'm guessing it was warren oh, rather than chris uh chris's voice tended was is is more uh dolorous and deep uh warren warren had a a wider range but yeah, and you know, in a way, the, uh, the 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 kinds of accents we were listening in the dubbing room to the Chinese in order to get the English right in terms of uh, right. lip flaps matching the rhythm of the sentences, and so uh, to to some extent, certainly the the tone of voice would mirror the Chinese. Now, when uh, they originally filmed those movies, they filmed them silent, All and silent, then they dubbed absolutely. the Mandarin in afterwards. Was the Mandarin oh, Cantonese. Cantonese? So when they dubbed that Cantonese in after filming, was that Cantonese done by the original actors, or was that a whole different dubbing crew? It was done sometimes with the original actors, but very often not. And they were using exactly the same dubbing studios that we were wow. using. So, uh, so in even listening to the subtitled versions of these movies, we're rarely hearing the original actors' voices. 
I'm guessing probably around 50% of the time you're hearing the originals, but in very in in, in many cases not. You know, dubbing uh, it's easier to uh, to dub if it's your own if you if it's yourself right, talking. You have the timing and all but of that it, stuff. It's right? not it, 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 it's it, it's more instinctive to feel it. But but nevertheless, some voices just don't sound all that good. And there are, as you as you know, there are professional dubbing actors, and there there, there were then and there are now in the Chinese world and the U.S. film world. And so uh, not all of the, uh, the of the voices you hear are going to be the original Chinese actors. And so therefore, there was a sort of an equivalence between what we were doing and what they were doing. They were the movies were shot in, uh, silent, and therefore, you know, th- there's it's it's not as if uh, the English product is right. any worse or less less original, right, than the Chinese. <laughs> really, it's it, it's uh. it's pretty equivalent. All right, Poison Clan, that's part one of my interview with Graham Earnshaw. Be sure to tune in next week for part two. And if you like what you're hearing, please drop a rating and a review in iTunes so the show can continue to grow. Please show my guest Graham Earnshaw some love as well by visiting his site at earnshaw.com. That's E-A-R-N-S-H-A-W.com. You can check out some of his work, read that memoir snippet that we talked about, or listen to some of his excellent music. In the meantime, drop me a line on Twitter or Instagram at Kung Fu Drive-In. Visit the Facebook page, the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast, or email me at kungfudriving at gmail.com. Until next week, Poison Clan. Peace! We walk into the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claw I see the iron fisted bunk on the daily prayers Shouting monks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs The fate of Lee Khan, now's in King Yu's hands With the fearless Aida roaming over the land Yeah, the little bitch soldier is older than wiser He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to great jars Fight for the cars, then pass here the blast On the end back kicks will defeat the outlaws Very good, but balls don't hit back Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back The Tai Chi master, Jet Li's even faster The child a little dream because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see Maggie Chung is finer Golden Swallow has arrived Chang Chi movies will the hero is survive We've got the brave archer make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight, may as well be the spot Yeah, the sky goes black Cause the vampire's back We got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all to so stand back He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword And our sword will travel until his body's on floors Yeah, Wing Chun Shaolin and Manti style Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Walk into the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we get drunk and then we're fighting Ha, this time is warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws. We walk into the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we get a drunk and then we're fighting Ha, this time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claw See it's a game of death, yo, you're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China, counting the TikTok The Shogun, Assassin's Lash and Blood, just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the ball stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got her just in yellow, but she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms, that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor when the 
blood that'll slatter against the wall Don't fear at all, to kill them all There's always blood spilled when you head into a war Fearless, unleashed The fist of legend that's the god, yeah, Lee I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these There's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Welcome to the tea house, belly for some action Drink a little wine and get it drunk and then we're fighting Ha, this time it's warm To smash the place up with a dragon cross We're walking to the tea house, belly for some action Drink a little wine and get it drunk and then we're fighting Ha, this time it's warm We'll smash the